Hello, and welcome to Humans and Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 90 with Everett Mohan, also known as Aspiring Spike. Everett, or Aspiring Spike, is a Magic the Gathering streamer and content creator. He is best known for his work on the modern format. I'm really excited to share the conversation with you because we go into a lot more than streaming, although we certainly cover that. We go into Everett's past, his life, his road as a Magic the Gathering grinder, and his progression into streaming. What's also very exciting is to hear about the support that his incredible partner has given him in terms of streaming and what he's doing today. I think it's really important to recognize that behind a lot of success, there's often a significant other or family or people that really propel and push you to be a better version of yourself. So I couldn't be more excited to share this conversation with you. I think you're going to get a lot more insight into whomever it is as a person. Because in the end, that's what Humans and Magic is all about. Telling the stories behind the names. I've also got an announcement to make. I've decided to list Humans of Magic on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Humans of Magic. It's become very clear to me that I really love this project. I really love interviewing and continuing to talk to Magic players of all kinds. The Patreon is simply my way to ask for a little bit of support. In 2022 so far, the frequency of the episodes has increased a little bit. And so what I'm asking in terms of Patreon is a bit of your support in helping me continue to produce the show and put the time in to sit down with magic personalities and talk to them. Now I'm at a point in my life where I do feel like I want to commit more. Some of the things that I did this year that you may have seen is trying to be a little bit more active on social, having the partnership with StarCityGames.com to carry the content, and I've got a few other things planned as well. But I think most importantly, I'm trying to get the episode frequency up I'm trying to release more episodes this year, and as such, your support is appreciated. But what I do have planned on Patreon is some exclusive, optional content. See, over the years, I've gone really deep into interviewing, or the art of interviewing people, and I want to share some of my methodology, how I do the interviews, how I find the guests, how I plan everything. It's more like an inside look into how Humans and Magic is made. I want to do some audio, video, text content, a combination of the three. And I wanted to try to offer that through Patreon to see if there's an interest in that. It's more like an inside look. And also, if you're a longtime listener, you may have noticed that I've recently tried to veer the show into more of a conversational nature as opposed to in the past where it was really just strictly Q&A and I'm a fly on the wall and uh, they're doing all the talking. And so what I'm thinking for the Patreon as well is that I like to give a bit more of my personal background in the exclusive content, maybe share a bit more about my past as a Magic player, as a person. If you're interested in getting to know me as opposed to the guests in a little bit more detail, then the Patreon might be a place to do that. Uh, Let's see how it goes. Of course, I want to reiterate that Humans of Magic 
on Patreon is strictly optional. If you love the show, please share your support through the normal ways. Please give us a follow on Twitter, Humans and Magic. Please follow our new Instagram account, also called Humans and Magic. Visit our website, humansandmagic.com. Whether you're a long-time or new listener, your support is always welcome. Please spread the word. If you love what we're doing here, please tell a friend. That means the world to me. All right, that is it for the intro. Please enjoy my conversation with Everett Mohan, also known as Aspiring Spike. Spike, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, James. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I am both excited and also kind of sorry in a way that I haven't talked to you before because actually when I was asking for questions for the interview, people were like, why didn't you interview Spike before? Because I've been doing this show for a while. And the real reason is I just recently got into modern. And when I got into modern, the one person they asked me to, people asked me to, to check out was Aspiring Spike. So first question right off the top is like, how does it feel to be the face of modern? Um, I don't know that I would consider myself to be the face of modern. I don't know. It's like, it's a huge community. You know, like, kind of like you said, like, you feel bad about not every me sooner. It's a huge community. There's tons of content creators. Not everybody knows everybody. Yeah, I, I guess I would uh, say that I'm not the face of modern. It's a really big community. It's a, a ton of people. It, it does feel great that I've got a large community and that I am able to build a lot of decks and I'm able to put a lot of content out there. But I am really just a really small part of it, in my opinion. Okay, I, I, maybe you're not the face of modern, but maybe I'll say you're a top five or top 10 <laughs> personality. <laughs> I could, I could maybe be like, uh, the nostrils of modern, perhaps, or like the, <laughs> the nose, the entire nose. <laughs> okay, okay, but I do want to refer to you by your actual name, Everett. Right? Mm-hmm. Did I did I pronounce yes. that correctly? You did, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know you you appeared in another podcast, and someone said, "Yes, your name is Everett. Uh, is it Everett Muhan? Is that is that how I see <laughs> it? Uh, it's it's Mohan. Uh, when I was in the sixth grade, I had a substitute teacher calling roll, and he said, uh, "Efart Moron." When he was calling roll, uh, e fart moron, and uh, uh, that was my nickname growing up. <laughs> ever since, uh, ever since he called me that. Oh man, that must yeah. have been must have been tough when you were younger, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's pronounced Mohan. I, actually, like having a username that's like easy to pronounce. Aspiring Spike has been great because I I never have to like clarify uh, <laughs> clarify how that's <laughs> pronounced. Yeah, for sure, and. Uh, Based on knowing a little bit about you and your your streaming and and, and magic, because obviously you started playing magic way before streaming. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned was it Return to Ravnica was when you got started. Yeah, the Return to Ravnica pre-release is like I I learned like a couple of weeks before the Return to Ravnica pre-release, but I feel like that was really when I had like a grasp on the rules. You know, I went to like one FNM before and I really had no idea what was going on. Yeah. So before you were streaming, you played obviously Moto or Magic Online, and that's when you chose aspiring spike as the name right yeah yeah I, i've had the aspiring spike magic online account for uh since like dragon's maze uh so so maybe like nine years okay yeah would you say that you are still aspiring to be a spike or you're now a fully realized spike or well uh I, well so i usually say a few different things like you know it's kind of evolved into this thing where i always want to try to be a better version of myself you know I'd always like, you know, there's like no point in my life where I like to 
feel settled or complacent. But the it the, the aspiring spike name kind of started as a joke because you know you have your FNM heroes who took things super seriously and they're like, man, I really gotta I gotta get to this level where I'm uh, I'm grinding these tournaments. And so it, just, it was just kind of like a bit of a parody at first, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but it, it kind of evolved into uh, into a uh, motto of self improvement, which is I think kind of funny. I think that's a good motto. And yeah. so I guess now you're not really, I mean, you said it was a joke all along, but you're not really aspiring to be anything. If, if anything, I don't know <laughs> if you consider yourself to be an aspiring Timmy or Johnny, or I, I don't know what's the profile that the archetype that ta- like people that like to brew, like what, which one is that? I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe that's the aspiring spike. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I have, a brewing has definitely been where my head's been at for the last, like I'd say probably four or five years. Um, it's it's just you know I, there's tons of ways to interact with the game right there you can play you can play casually you can enjoy the time with your friends you can enjoy tournament play you can enjoy a lot of different things what i've been enjoying for a long time is is the brewing yeah so you are based out of texas right you told me before we started recording yeah mm-hmm. okay and uh tell me a little bit about just uh where you are and uh if, if it's where you grew up and just kind of your surroundings basically yeah i'm uh i live in the city of arlington which is uh the maybe one of the bigger cities in america that nobody's ever heard of it's like a million person city but it's right in between dallas and fort worth the met the metroplex is metroplex is huge um you know i, I think a lot of people they hear texas they have an idea of what what a person who is from from texas is, is like but you know in my experience you know urban america and rural america is all is all kind of like you know, you, you, I would have more common from someone from a bigger city in, you know, in like New, maybe not New York, but like Illinois or Seattle, I think, than I would have in common from, you know, someone who's from a small city in Texas. Yeah. 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 I have to admit that that's also my understanding. So I, I think there's a, there's definitely a, I, I don't know what's the, what's the, the label, but there's definitely a more liberal side of Texas, right? Yeah. I, I'd say so. I, I would actually say that, uh, the city where I am of all the big cities in Texas, there's like San Antonio and Houston and Austin and Dallas, uh, the Fort Worth, which is where I'm from, is probably the most right leaning city, maybe the most right leaning city in America. Um, but as far as like, but, you know, that that would be like. That would maybe, maybe we look if you looked at like the most left leaning small town in America, it, it wouldn't be like nearly as left leaning as a big city, just because there's there's just such a huge divide, I, I feel like, in the states between the. Uh, the urban and the rural areas. And this is kind of like a bit of a tangent, but it's just like, it's just, it's just crazy how big the, the differences in like the lifestyle is in like the, I feel like, I feel like most of our like political differences also just kind of comes down to just like what different worlds it is. Uh, but again, a, a pretty, pretty big tangent. Yeah. No, it's yeah. not a, it's not that big of a tangent. I mean, uh, yeah. maybe to share a little bit about, myself like i i grew up in canada on the west coast mm. so it's definitely very different from living anywhere in the states i would say but it's probably closer to like i mean it, it is literally close to seattle like where i grew up like in vancouver canada and uh on the west coast but i, I i've been to texas once mm-hmm. uh and it was a very skewed view of texas because i only went to austin it was a work trip uh i remember it was 10 years ago so i'm sure a lot of things have changed by now but i do remember like just really enjoying myself there and i think the only thing i remember was like 
there was a huge Whole Foods presence because uh, they were based out of there. And I was actually yeah. there when I was working like for uh, I was doing customer support for a startup and I was only there for a few days, but it was just like not what I expected. I mean, I mean, I don't know what to what what to have expected, but it's it's definitely yeah. not what I expected, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I love Austin. It's it's a really unique experience. I've had a lot of uh, a lot of fun times down there. I, I would say that Austin's probably I think I think in my experience, each of the Texas cities, the big ones have their own, their own identity, but Austin is like the cool, the coolest of all of them, in my opinion. Yeah. I've, I've actually wanted to move there uh, pretty badly, but the, the housing market there is ridiculous. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's bad. It's, the, it's bad everywhere, but it's really bad there. It's the Silicon Valley money, right? It's kind of yeah, like yeah. San Francisco. We're trying, I, I don't know what it is now. Like, it's like people say, you know, they move from Silicon Valley to, Austin and maybe now people are saying like they moved to Miami as well but like anywhere <laughs> there's like tech it's big tech it just starts to, yeah. to yeah but there must be some cool stuff about Arlington though right like so like um what? I would say <laughs> the coolest thing about Arlington are that uh my friends and family are here I bet the love of my life here um but but really there there's there's not that much to do here there's like the cowboy I, I can see the cowboy stadium from my uh from my apartment but um it's uh, it's for, what, what I like about Arlington is that you can drive to Dallas or Fort Worth pretty quickly and you have access to go to like events in either city. And so it's, it's kind of nice to be in the middle because if there's like a, there's like oftentimes concerts in Fort Worth, concerts in Dallas um, or, you know, you know, there was before the, <laughs> the whole COVID yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. What was it like for you growing up? Like, uh, you know, going to school there. I, I assume you went to school yeah. in Arlington as well. Like, uh, I actually went to school in Fort Worth. I moved to Arlington for uh, university uh, a little uh, after, after high school. Obviously, um, growing up was was good. I uh, I'm a I'm a twin actually. I have a twin sister, and I, I feel like my childhood was kind of normal. I don't know. <laughs> I. I haven't reflected on my childhood in a long time, I think, but we went to public, I went to public school. I was kind of a slacker gamer. I played a lot of basketball, like my senior year of high school. I got, I got, I was played basketball in, I played basketball my freshman year for the school. I was terrible, but then uh, my entire senior year, I spent af- after school every day playing and then I ended up getting to the point where I, I genuinely felt like I was really good. And um after that, I started like right after high school, I started hanging out with uh, my friends who taught me to play magic. And I don't think I've played basketball since then. <laughs> oh, that's, but, uh, yeah, yeah. that's too bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're joining a long heritage of magic interviewees who are all were also into basketball. So yeah. I, I would I'm very happy to add you to the ranks of uh, <laughs> Patrick Sullivan. And uh, actually, I think it's mostly P. Sully. I think he's done a lot of basketball in the past. <laughs> uh what 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 what, what's your what was your basketball game like like how did you model your game after somebody or like what position did you play well I mean I always like kind of grew up admiring um a couple different like JJ Barea was always my my hero because he was like uh Dallas Maverick right yeah yeah yeah, Dallas Maverick he was pretty close and then he was he just he just played so hard you know what I mean he uh, I don't know like I feel like you'd always watch like Dirk Nowinski play or, or like, like most of the players you watch, it feels like they're conserving energy the whole game because it's like this long endurance thing. But like JJ would just like come off the bench and be just always 100 and 120% and playing so intensely. 
yeah. he was just like always like so exciting to watch. And then he was also like, I, I'm six, three. I was, I was six, three in high school too. Yeah. And I was like, like, Hey, like, man, he's exactly my height. This is, this is pretty cool. I think yeah. I think JJ Berger as six three is a little generous. Like he must be like six three <laughs> if he wears like yeah. two inch platform shoes or something. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's that's always how the that's always how like their heights are listed, right? Like yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. He's, he's probably not actually six three. No, that's great because JJ yeah. Berger. I, I watched a fair share of um, of the Mavericks back then as well. Like he's a mm-hmm. he's a real hustle player. He's kind of in the long line of players who you just honestly don't expect him to actually make the league or like yeah. make the league for long he's had a super long career he basically made his career out of just like running pick and rolls with Dirk and like just being a I think even now like I have friends tell me like did you see that JJ Berea clip where like someone tried to post up JJ Berea and they couldn't like there's just like it just it just makes you realize that playing hard is an actual skill in the yeah, NBA for sure. you know yeah like, like most- it's just so clear he's just battling harder than everybody else yeah it's 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 amazing to see guys like that that that's really cool because like i know that having played pickup ball just when i visited the u.s i know that like basketball in u.s is no joke like if you like just any random run at the y is just like there's some ringers in there so you must have been pretty good to be like on the on the high school team senior team right uh well actually so i was on the i was on the freshman team the freshman i actually i actually uh played at played at the Y every day and not on the, on my high school team. My, my high school actually like uh, won a national championship like the year before I entered. So it was like super serious, but uh, me, it was just me and my friends at the Y like every day after school, all day, the summer after high school. And I like, I definitely felt like I had a lot of really big level up moments. And like when the, by the time the summer hit all summer, I actually felt like I was one of the better players at the Y yeah. And like, it was, I, I definitely started off being like, I think a pretty weak player, just getting back into it, uh, being like, you know, goofy, awkward, lanky 18 year old. But um, yeah, by the end of it, I was like really good shape. I was killing it. And then now I've been playing magic for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> You're sort of like the, uh, the athlete that's like retired into Texas yeah. Hold'em poker or something. <laughs> just, um, so, so tell me about like, uh, uh, you know, moving, moving here for college. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I know you had wanted to be a teacher originally, right? Well, it's kind of changed, uh, changed a few times. You know, I've never been like very invested in school. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, for, for a while, like I wanted to be like, my first thing I was like, I was really good at English in, in high school. I got like fives in both my AP exams. And I was thinking that I would maybe want to be a lawyer because you get to do a lot of writing there and you get to make a lot of money. And the more and more like I looked into like what that actually take that that just didn't end up lasting very long. And then I was just kind of like finishing my basics for several years. Like I my first year of college was good. I was totally fine. And then I like had like a year and a half where I just was like not going to class. And I was, you know, partying, hanging out with people, playing magic tournaments and uh then i like dropped out to work a construction job for a little while uh so i could save up money because i was out of money because i was failing my classes and the construction job was a, a super toxic environment i've talked about it on stream a few times uh but it was it was really bad some dark days and then i had a friend of mine who got me a job uh doing it work for the university and i did that for five or six years uh, and then they laid me off at the beginning of COVID. And this, this like kind of overlaps 
at that point I had been streaming for like a year and a half and then they laid me off and I was able to just barely start streaming full time. And then the stream kind of took off from there. Yeah. And the rest is history. Um, The rest is history. Okay. So first of all, I think anybody that's like a top high level magic player has some modicum of IQ. So I, I think you're definitely a smart person just based on the way you play and approach magic. But I often find this theme to be very common. It's just like people are just not that interested. Like people who are relatively intelligent are just not that interested in school because it just gets to be like, I don't know. I don't know what's the term. Like just they just get disenfranchised with it or it just Mm -hmm. feels like what's the point? It sounds like you kind of felt that as you as you went through academics. Yeah, I mean, to be to be to an extent, I, I kind of feel like I was more so. Uh, to be completely honest in my youth, just kind of like lazy and cocky. Um, I don't think that I was like, I don't think I had a low IQ, but I was definitely dumb. I was definitely like using my time really poorly. And I had a really bad work ethic, I thought. And uh, I, I, when I met my, my partner, uh, we've been together for like four years now. She has an incredible work ethic and she has like a big drive. And she was the one that even encouraged me to start streaming in the first place. And I think that she she is really like uh, uh, you know her the best parts of her have really like rubbed off on on me I think to be honest yeah I, I hey I totally feel that like uh, my wife whom I've known for ten years now I always like to say like she challenges me in good ways because mm-hmm. I am naturally just also somebody who just. I think it's like for everybody, we just kind of want to do our own thing. We just kind of want to do what we've been always been doing. And you always need some sort of uh, sometimes like a wake up call or you just see someone who's doing it, approaching things differently. And it just makes you think about yourself and uh, and also just makes you realize that life is not about just myself. Right. It's about like taking care of people and just just uh, uh, being a good person, of course, but but just like looking outside yourself as well. So I I definitely feel a little bit of what you're saying. Um, and you met her while you were uh, here in Arlington, right? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, we don't have like a really uh, cute story. We just met on a dating app and uh, uh, we just, uh, <laughs> uh, we've been, you know, very, very fast, uh, fell in love with each other. We like went on a trip to Florida, like three weeks in <laughs> uh, to our relationship. And uh, it's just been really good. It's been really good. Nice. Things just yeah. clicked. That's, that's, I'm yeah. happy to hear that. Um, so just going back a little bit, I know you were kind of a, a a gamer growing up. Like, did you did you yeah. play with your friends? Did you play with your twin sister? Like, how how, how did that get started? Um, well, uh, growing up, my, my my best friend always uh, had all the games, all the games, and we would play like a ton of like Star Wars Battlefield Two, Battlefront Two. We'd play um, a lot of like Super Smash Brothers, a lot of Mario Kart back then. Uh, we also had like um a pool table that we uh, we we made we made up this game called dork ball and ended up like really spreading in our friend group it's like i know this, nobody's gonna know what this is uh, except for uh, very few of my friends we actually played it recently at a bachelor party but you get a pool table you get the white cue ball the black cue ball and the goal is to uh use the white cue ball to you throw it with your hands to knock the black cue ball into a hole and as soon mm-hmm. as the white ball touches the black one it goes to the next person and they have and as, as long as the balls are moving, they can throw it and try to hit it before it goes into the hole. If the ball stops, they get a letter. If the ball gets knocked into uh, a hole, they get a letter. There's a few other rules until you, until it spells out dork, D-O-R-K, like horse, um, like horse in, uh, in basketball. And so we, we actually would play that 
uh, all the time growing up too. Like a lot of like kind of made up games like that, basketball sometimes. Um, but like as far as um, I, I ended up like kind of in high school, like I would play, you know, I played like basketball with my friends. But as far as like video games went, it was it was it's always been like very uh, me time <laughs> kind of activity. Like I really got into like RPGs, like Mass Effect was my favorite game, Knights of the Old Republic, like a lot of a lot of single player games I ended up enjoying. Yeah, yeah. Were yeah. you also into perhaps like the JRPGs or just just more the bio Bioware kind um, of stuff? I don't know if I ever got into a JRPG. Um, I I later in life really got into the the Dark Souls games, right. which are role playing games. They're I think? Jeff, yeah, they're uh, they're from Soft from Software. Okay. Um, they maybe is, is Konami a publisher or a developer? I have you know? no idea. I'm yeah. really out of touch with video games. So whatever yeah. you tell me, I'll just take at yeah. face value. Well, yeah, <laughs> like they're, they're, like they are Japanese and they're role playing games, but they're like really not exactly what you think of when you think of JRPGs. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm definitely older than you are, and I think back in the day there was more of a delineation of like this is a Japanese game and mm-hmm. this is an American game. But now, now it's just all kind of blurred, right? And I think it's also like just the globalization of games, and they're just yeah. taking like elements of everything. So it sounds like you are also always into. I think the Souls games is is uh, is Elden Ring like part of the Souls series? Is that is that what it is? <laughs> uh, so it is. Uh, you know, I'm still playing through it. Uh, it's not as far as I can tell canonically part of the souls world but they, they have a bunch of games demon souls dark souls one two three uh bloodboard and now Elden ring and, and sekiro um all these games are very mechanically similar with, with kind of with the exception of sekiro they're very mechanically similar and there's like a lot of like overlapping easter eggs and like hints from the different games uh and they and it and, and uh, they play very similarly but they're not all necessarily part of the same universe unless you try to like really get a conspiracy board and connect the dots Okay. Uh, yeah, I have to admit my ignorance here. I've never played the games. I've seen people stream and, and play the games and obviously talk about the games. But I just wanted to go back to, you know, you as a gamer, like, were you, so you played like RPGs, but you also play like kind of, did you always play sort of these like Twitch reflex type of games? Like you need a little bit more mm-hmm. dexterity to play these games, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I played a lot of uh, like Call of Duty growing up too. I think I think most people did. I think most people were very social with it, but I would just like lock out the world and play play online for for hours and hours um i even like made like i just like every other high school kid ever made like a youtube video of like my call of duty clips back in the day but i mean this was like you know 2011 2012 it was like maybe a little before everybody was doing it but it it was really fun um yeah it was definitely they were definitely all like twitch reflex games i um i did actually play like a lot of chess when i was before high school i i played a lot of chess i played tournaments i used to i used to do pretty well at them too um but i just kind of got uh you know when as soon as i started playing against people that were better than me i just stopped like a lot of kids who play chess do mm-hmm. i'm yeah. wondering are you somebody that's just naturally like interested in like pursuing new games and like new fresh things like is it hard for you to mm-hmm. i mean obviously magic is the exception but like is it hard for you to like stay on one game like when you were younger or did you like have your favorites as well no, I think I'm actually kind of the opposite. I think I'm someone that gets like hyper addicted to one thing for a long time and is not necessarily that interested in trying something new. But when something really clicks with me, it clicks with me for a while. So Magic is obviously the biggest example. I've been just playing it for so long, but like Mass Effect games, Dark Souls games, like I got very stuck on them for a while. 
So were you, are you just like really into trying to like master all the nooks and crannies of a particular game, mm-hmm. like getting deeper and deeper? Is that fair to say? Well, it kind of, it kind of depends on, on what the game is. Like, I think that's definitely the case with magic. Cause there's like, there's a ton and ton of depth there. Some games like the Mass Effect game, I more so play for the story and like you just kind of like see like what the different routes are and that's always really fun. And for a game like like the Dark Souls games, I'm not like naturally very good at them, but um, this is maybe like a little tangently related. I've really become like really uh, a big fan of like watching Dark Souls challenge runs, specifically no hit runs where players try to uh beat not only a single game without taking a hit but like every single game they've ever made without taking a hit in a row and it's like 17 hour marathon runs and they're they're super awesome to watch that's that's just remarkable like i i haven't watched the ones for souls but i did have a friend who was like really into pokemon speed running and mm-hmm. he just i don't know i don't know what it is like they find ways to beat the game in like like an hour or like they mm-hmm. they have some uh, I think I think actually uh, uh, Kenji, uh, the magic streamer, like he mm-hmm. knew Mata. He he might have done like something like that in the past. I don't know. There's a, there's a whole culture or subculture of that, which is in- incredibly fascinating. It's just like you just watch that and you're just like this guy is like walking on a tightrope, and there's like there's no way I could ever do that. You know, it's just it's just amazing stuff. So yeah, that's definitely what I like about it. It's like I, I you know as as someone who's like, especially when I be getting on my streaming grind and it's, it's a lot of work, a lot of overtime, and I'm watching like these no hit runners. I'm like, this is the, what I'm doing is nothing compared to this. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> like the, the mental fortitude it takes to do like a 14 hour marathon run where you take even one single hit of these games and it's all over. I know. I, I know you yeah. had mentioned in the past, like the trophy race stuff for that you had done for <laughs> magic online was somewhat re- inspired by speed runs, but uh, I can probably guess that, like, to do a five zero in a Magic League, it you don't have to play anywhere near like perfect Magic, even if there <laughs> yeah. is such a thing, yeah. right? And it's also yeah, exactly. the, the speed runs. It's like you versus the machine, or you versus the the game. So it's it's, I guess in some ways it's more predictable. But I I wouldn't say uh, speed runs are like easy or anything, right? They just seem like yeah, just, of course not, yeah. Yeah, they, they, kind of, they kind of look easy when they're perfected, I think. But they're, they're <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. not. Yeah. It's kind of like you're you're playing basketball and you see a guy just do amazing things, but you just there's, <laughs> there's years and years of work into that, right? Yeah. So before we get into your magic stuff, I know that you were introduced to magic through another gateway game, which is D&D or Dungeons and Dragons. Like, how did you get into Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, yeah, I, 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 I was magic first for me, actually. Uh, oh, it was magic first. Okay. Yeah, it was magic first. But um, I don't know if there was like, there was, the, there, was not, there was not necessarily a huge inciting incident. Me and my friends, I, I, I don't, I don't even know why. Um, we were playing some board games. We were just playing some like random board games. And we were like, hey, do you want to try D&D? And um, our, our friends just saying, hey, do you want to try D&D ended up resulting in a four year long campaign that actually wrapped up uh, early, early this year. And uh, and then it's like that campaign went on for like four years. And in the meantime, like I ran a year long campaign. I, 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 I finished like two, two others, like tons of one shots, just me and my friends playing two, three times a week for like four years and it's continued and still going too. That's amazing. But did you have any reservations when you started doing D&D like uh, for uh, your campaign or you just kind of went with it? Cause it's a friend, friends. I, I think, yeah, I think it was just easy. To, it just, it just naturally clicked for all of us. Cause we're all really dorky and we all uh, 
you know, a little bit older and are like mid twenties at this point where, you know, kind of looking to just kind of relax in our evenings rather than going out. And uh, yeah, it's I, no reservations, just lots of good times. All right. So this is something I really want to know. What's your character or characters? Like, who are you in D&D? <laughs> mm. Like, are you some sort of... Uh, actually, I'll let you say it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, so I'm playing right now in two campaigns. In one of them, I'm playing a, a swamp elf named Scubba, who is a, a water buffalo farmer. And uh, we've gotten, like, these, like, crazy... It started, it started off on just, like, a uh, expedition, exploration, looking for some treasure. And my character was just, you know taking a break from the farming for a season and now now we're like on a different plane of existence and <laughs> i just want to go home <laughs> at, at this point uh it's uh and then what, the other character i'm playing is um is pretty new because it's uh after that four year long campaign ended we started up uh, another one but i'm playing um uh, the, uh you're probably not familiar but there's a race called in D lore called githyanki and what they they reside in in space, but space is like a little weird in the D and D universe because it's like this area that revol- re- resides in the in between the planes of existence. And um, a, a lot of the lore associated with them is that like it's very resource light out there. It's very um, it's very hard to survive in the in space. And uh, so my character has like made it to the material plane. And I'm just uh, like an absolute hedonist because I because I just like it can't get because there's so many resources down here on the on the material plane to indulge in, or at least that's like you know because it's pretty new. I, I imagine that's going to evolve over time, but that's been my uh, my character so far. Is it hard to to quote unquote role play like because you, you you're not being yourself, you're being uh, this. Uh, you said dark elf or it, it like uh, I, I, yeah i guess yankee <laughs> okay so do, do yeah. you have to or or get yankee do, do you have to uh, how do you prepare for stuff like that because i've never done dnd no it just like everything in life it gets easier over time i i don't know if i would have ever been able to get into character and be goofy with the, you know a group of strangers without you know doing it with a bunch of friends first but if it's just your friends having a good time there's no judgment uh, I think that like everybody's first character is just kind of themselves for the most part. At least that was like absolutely like our experience. My 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 first character was like just basically myself, and um, I th- I think that as time goes on, you get more comfortable. You you get a, a feel for what it could be, and you just find a character concept that's interesting and fun, and just jump into it. And you are also a dungeon master. You you said you you. Also... I used I used to. Be- it's been a while but i did run a campaign for like a year and a half i've done some one shots it's a lot of fun but the prep work just is it's so much you know that that just seems like such a creative endeavor like because i played board games where there's kind of a dm but not actually like a dm dm in a in dnd campaign like that it just sounds like an incredible amount of uh creative work right like how did you draw upon you know (laughs) yourself to do that well, there's there's a lot of uh, you know I, I spent a lot of time growing up doing a lot of creative writing and uh, um, that was definitely a good well to draw on and and of course like you know after playing in the D and D campaigns for a long time there's a lot of like inspiration you get over time thinking of like oh maybe I could run an encounter like this I would want to have a, a moment like this and, you know and you know you just kind of think about it a lot over time until it actually gets born into uh into reality or i, I guess fantasy <laughs> got it got it and are you still actively doing D now like uh 
Yeah, yeah. Um, we're doing right now. We're only doing it once a week because one of our friends who was running the other campaign is stuck in Connecticut, and uh, he he works in a field. Uh, and he's, he's stuck up there. Um, but uh, yeah, still actively doing it. Okay, so you do like a video call like this? You just you just yeah, do it every yeah. week. Very cool. So uh, yeah, let let's talk about your magic. You probably didn't expect us to talk about all this stuff before. You probably <laughs> expected this podcast to be like, let's just all talk about magic. But let, let's talk a bit about magic. Like, how did you, wh- what is your origin story? Because we had just said, mm-hmm. uh, you know, return to Ravnica. You had learned to play maybe a few weeks before. Yeah. Tell me about how you got introduced into, into all this. So my friend who actually uh, was the one who ran the four-year-long d d campaign, but he, I met him my freshman year of college. He had been playing magic in high school and he, we just taught me how to play. I mean, this is, this is just how everybody learned how to play before arena too. Um, Cause you know, the, the magic for the longest time just survived on just word of mouth. The game is really, really good, but I feel like the barrier to entry was really high because you know, you had to, your friend had to convince you to play. There's like, you had to spend all this time getting cars. You had to go to the sweaty local game store, but that is what I did. I, you know, played it like every Friday FM. I was just kind of immediately hooked. Cause you know, I, I, I had like a, I had a background playing a lot of chess and I had played a little poker and I really liked both aspects of those games. And I thought the like resource management of chess and like the variance of poker and like the reads of poker was like a really good blend. And, um, I played just like I played very casually for like the first the first year or so, two years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was also like very much like immediately a big fan of of the pro tour. And I remember um, I like I like just like one day Googled old pro tour coverage and I watched Brian Kibler's pro tour Dark Ascension run. And I was just immediately hooked. And so then I watched pro tour gate crash and I was like, cheering for Melissa the Tora the whole time because her band control deck was so sick. She had an Aurelia in the sideboard, which at the time I thought was genius. So then years later, I'm looking back I'm like the Aurelia, what on earth is it doing there? And now <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I've kind of circled back and now I kind of think it's genius again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, me and my friends actually still sometimes play that standard format. We've got a, a gauntlet of return to Ravnica Innistrad decks, but um, I, you know, if, eventually I started to become you know, more and more interested in in playing competitively and uh, i'm trying to think around when this would have been i think this was probably 2014 2015 um where uh i was like really interested in this caleb d list this caleb d like grixis delver deck and modern uh, i ended up putting it together and i just went to a pptq one day and i won the pptq and then like two weeks later there was um a gp in oklahoma city uh, and uh, I, I, di- I didn't even know it was happening until like the Friday before, but I decided to get up at 3 a.m. I can't even, I've, I, I can't imagine myself doing this now. I just have no energy, but I got up at 3 a.m. I drove to I drove to Oklahoma City, no hotel booked or anything. I, and I, I ended up losing my uh, winning into top eight of that event. And um, I, it was just it was like just the rush of like being up there, doing well at a tournament, playing well. It was just the best feeling in the world. And so. You know, I, I really started to chase that feeling, grinding a lot of standard and uh, modern PTQs, RPTQs. And it took me it took me a couple of years to qualify for my first pro tour. Um, I 12 th- my next my next GP I played. I also 12 three, um, which was a, a legacy GP uh, where I played miracles. And 
I, I spent all this time grinding to get the cards and then they, they banned uh, since it's dividing top right after. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I qualified for my first pro tour with teamer Dynavolt tower in standard, which was just the coolest deck ever. I think it might've been a Todd Anderson list. It's also, it's also blurry now, but I think that was a, uh, that was the case. And it just qualifying for the pro tour. Then it just, it just meant the world to me. It just absolutely meant the world. And um, I, I, I remember, so like it, it was the, it was pro tour hour of devastation uh, in, in my preparation, my preparation, you had like a week and a half or two weeks back then before the, the pro tour. And I thought that was a great way to do it. Uh, I did uh, 100 drafts uh, in preparation uh, in that week or two weeks. And then I also spent a lot of time grinding and I put together this, uh, I, 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 I realized that, uh, Dynable tower was definitely the best deck for the tournament, or sorry, not, not, not tower. Um, uh, eight, uh, the, the four mana artifact, the tap, it casts a spell for free. If you use six energy, uh, I, I can't remember the card, but it was, it was broken. You cast an Ulamog off of it. Uh, Aetherworks Marvel, Aetherworks Marvel. Aetherworks and Marvel, I, yeah. yeah. And then I, I also like, figured out that like zombies was going to be a really popular deck at the tournament and like i played this awesome list that helped elder deep fiend and coast Lex return i felt really good about my list uh i ended up um going six and two on day one and there's like this awesome clip i, I remember like my friends sent me this clip and it's randy bueller talking about like how good my win record at gps was and how I'm, I'm I'm currently six and one and how this is this is really exciting and just like I play I remember going back to my hotel room and just playing that clip over and over again it was so like surreal to hear my name on a pro tour stream it was crazy yeah and, to have uh, Randy yeah. like a legend basically yeah say your name absolutely. Yeah. yeah it was so crazy and uh and then the next day I feel like I didn't play very well in the draft portion and I bowled a five a bunch day two and I had like a kind of a mediocre finish and all of my pro tours I've played or PTs to uh, the, the players tours, they've all kind of been the same where I have like a really hot day one and I just kind of have a mediocre day two uh, has always been my experience playing, uh, played on the PTs. Um, and, but, but after, after that, I, you know, I was, magic was still like a big part of my life. And this was like back when I was like kind of grinding the construction work and that was like not a great environment. I, I kind of soon pivoted into the, the IT work. And like, I, I was really just playing a ton of magic in my free time still. And I was really into the PPTQ, RPTQ scene. And eventually I, for my second pro tour, it was pro tour um, uh, Nashville. It was the 25th anniversary pro tour, the only team event you could ever play. Um, it was, and I got to play Legacy at a pro tour, and I got to play my favorite deck, which is Ad Nauseam Tendrils and Legacy, which it was just like such, it was amazing to get to play that deck at a pro tour. And um, we ended up like losing our winning into top eight of that event. I was playing, I, t- I told this story a lot because this, 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 this one game of Magic ends up being like this weird crossroads in my life where I'm, I'm playing Ant against Merfolk. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm which is a storm deck, and I, I realized that I could combo off with my hands. My opponent just top decked last turn. They have three mana. Um, I can beat a daze. This is before force of negation was printed, um, and so they, so they, they couldn't force of will me. They could daze, but I could beat a daze. Mm-hmm. And the one card that they drew was their one copy of Vendillion Click, and they were able to Vendillion Click and take my Infernal Tutor. Yeah, uh, like after, and uh, I ended up losing uh, that game, and we lost our winning to top eight of that event. And a top eight, you know, isn't 
you know, for that event, top four is really what qualifies you for Sunday, but top eight would have been uh, immediate gold status for me um, uh, for the, for the, for the pro tour gold status. But uh, even though that didn't happen, I was in a position where I was like one or two pro points away from gold and, or sorry, yeah, sorry, away from silver. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I missed, I missed it. So top eight would have been immediate silver for me, which would have been another, the next pro qualified me for the next pro tour. Right. Um, but so I, but I'm like I'm one pro point away from silver, one or two pro points and I have nine months to get it. And then the next pro tour is local to me. So even though I don't get free air to airfare for that pro tour, if I qualify for this, then I have a good chance of being gold, good chance of making a run. And then like two weeks after I'm in this position, wizards announces that they're switching to the MPL system. Uh, and, and I, I was just devastated. I was just absolutely yeah. devastated. Cause I'm like, it would, it would have been so easy to like grind three GPs, get those bro points, have a good chance of being gold. I really thought this was going to be my moment. And a lot of, a lot of my friends and fellow grinders at that time were super disenfranchised. Like I remember that last RPTQ where every, the players who were there qualified super consistently. We saw each other every three months for these RPTQs. And it was like, we all knew it was the last time it was really it was really disheartening. And I, I just had this crossroads where I didn't qualify for the next pro tour. I would have, if they, if my Merfolk opponent had a top deck, the Vendillion click. And at, at this point I decided to either quit magic or start streaming. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started streaming. It ended up being really, really good for me. Uh, my, my partner was really encouraged me to do so, but mm -hmm. I, I really think if my opponent didn't top deck the Vendillion click, I probably would have like. Your life would have just been so yeah, different. Yeah. Right? It would have been, it would have been so different. Yeah. That one churn. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I, I really don't think I would have started streaming, but it, it's heartbreaking, but it, it, it's kind of funny how it ended up working out really well for me. Cause the stream is like, to be honest, like way more fulfilling to me than uh, grinding tournament magic ever was. And uh, you know, it's, it's like a little corny, but sometimes you feel like you get really unlucky, but it ends up working out well in the long run. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Like you, you, you were living the grinder life, like getting up yeah. at 3 a.m. to, Go somewhere, which is also a good thing about, I guess now some people get up at 3 a.m. maybe to stream, but but that's a totally different thing, right? Uh, just just going way back though, like how did you, because you said you watched the the Pro Tour footage, like Kibler and mm -hmm. the Torah, and you were like an FNM hero, but then you decided to get serious or get good. Like what yeah. was your process of actually getting good and actually be able to, you know, win the really high level tournaments? Well, it's kind of been my process for everything in life and it's like not super efficient, but I just spend like an ungodly amount of time playing magic and anything that I'm interested in, I just spend an, an absurd amount of time doing it. I'm, and I, that was also like, I think a big part of my streams, like it's initial success and, you know, maybe continued success too, is that I spend a ton of time testing decks off stream and building decks off stream is, uh, is always been uh, something I've been like very serious and dedicated about and, I, I don't know if there's like, you know, I, I'm sure there are other people who can find success through more efficient means. But for me, I just throw hundreds and hundreds of hours at it until I eventually get good. <laughs> just just preparation and, yeah. and putting in the time. Yeah. So were there, was there a particular play group in your area? Like, you know, like, did you work with people? Because uh, I think the the number one thing I hear people that get better at magic is you got to play against really good competition. You got to lose a lot. You got to study the game. So was there a group of people like in your area that really helped you level uh, up or not, not for me? I think a lot of my friends ended up leveling up alongside me uh, as okay. we, as we played, but to, for me, basically everywhere I leveled up was magic online. 
like I always felt like the competition on Magic Online was really steep, especially when I first started to play. And I really like a lot of times you play at FNM and it was like it, the environment was way more casual. But on, on Magic Online, it, it, it was it's always been, in my opinion and experience, more competitive than your local scene. Like it doesn't like like you're the best the best local person in your area, like your you know, your local hero is about as good as like your average like your average Magic Online player in my experience. And so I, I, I think, I think I really started to get good playing vintage cube. Cause I just thought vintage cube was the coolest. I love to watch like LSV videos for vintage cube. And I would just do hundreds and hundreds of drafts. And I, I feel like playing, playing specifically cube just makes you like, like, and when you're, when you're used to playing a format, you really get to autopilot a lot. You've been in scenarios a lot. And you know, a lot of times it can be really hard to actually learn and improve, but because cube has so many like unique situations and you have to think really critically about deck building, if you're really trying to win, I feel like, I feel like that was probably like the, my highest rate of improvements was just grinding vintage cube, which is kind of funny to think about because vintage cube is a pretty casual format. Um, but after, you know, I, you know, after grinding a lot of cube, I ended up, you know, playing more like standard and modern on magic online some legacy and, um, I, I definitely felt like a really stark improvement uh, from playing Magic Online compared to playing Paper. Yeah. So for me, like I'm I'm nowhere near the the caliber player you are. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to put myself into your um, your frame of reference, but uh, just like I, I started off playing a lot of Legacy, and after I started playing more limited, I realized that like I got much better as a Magic player. <laughs> just just much better. And now now I'm sort of like the 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 person who's still not very good but like at least when you're doing combat math and you're doing things in in magic like you just because if <laughs> this is this is really bad to say but if you play if you if you if you play like the, the thing that's really bad about magic is like having a format specialist because like if you if you play against someone who's only a vintage or a legacy player and you're like how how could you even use oko this way like they don't even know how to attack and and block with their food tokens or elks or whatever and it's just like it's kind of embarrassing actually. So as I got older, I just kind of stopped removing these labels on myself. It's like, I'm a legacy player, just like how, like, I don't call myself, like I play basketball too, but I don't say I'm a basketball player. I just play basketball. It's like, I, I think magic is one of these things where you have to like immerse yourself fully in everything, like to become better. Right. You can't just put limitations on yourself and just say like, I only play format X because, or deck X, because it's just, it's just really it depends on your goals, right? If you want to just have fun, you want to be the Merfolk player, that's great. Um, uh, no offense to Merfolk players out there, but uh, but it's just like, if you want to get better at Magic and get to the PT, I think you really have to do uh, what you did, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I absolutely think so. I Especially like, e even if like, I've played a lot of different formats over my time. I've really dived deep in a lot of them, but even just like in modern specifically, like I've played every deck a lot, uh, except for like boggles, but I've played, I've played every <laughs> deck a lot. And like that experience, knowing what it's like to play your opponent's deck really helps you play against it too. And so like, I, I think it's really hard to be like a specialist of anything in modern. If you're not at least like somewhat proficient with like most of like the most popular strategies too. So before you started streaming, obviously your streaming focus now is 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 uh is modern. But you had mentioned like you had some really uh, favorite like standard decks. You're really into Legacy and Storm. Like yeah. 
did you make any sort of conscious decision before you started streaming? Like, I want to stream a particular format. Like, I, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering your thought process on that. Or did you pick modern because it was like super popular already? Or like, what, what's your selection well, process? Well, when I started streaming, it was right after Modern Horizons 1 released. And this was like right when I was really getting interested in deck building. Um, I was I was one of the first person who was like working on Is It Phoenix and Modern, like right after Arc Like Phoenix came out. I played the SCG at Top 16 is it phoenix with faithful suiting and like that was like the first time like i built a deck and people were like this is a cool deck i like it and and i i found that to be really rewarding and when modern horizons one came out i'm like oh man i've got so many ideas on how to um on on, on decks to build and I, I i built a bunch of decks and i started streaming them i started off with like this red green prowess deck with like scale up and dreadhorde Arcadist, and then uh like i i ended up my my stream started to like grow when i started to play renin six and jund like i i feel like i was one of the, i was at least like one of the first person streaming renin six and in jund and people were really interested in watching that deck it was a lot of fun um and, but uh there was there's definitely so I, I streamed modern for like the first maybe six months of my career and then um like even like during the hogak metagame it wasn't so bad on magic online because you could like Everyone, you just played four Leyland in your sideboard. Not that many people played Hogak in the leagues. The games were still pretty fun and interesting. But then they uh, banned Hogak. They banned Faithful Suiting. And then like the Urza, Oko, Mystic Sanctuary, <laughs> Once Upon a Time, uh, Mox Opal deck was the best deck on Magic Online. And it was really popular. And it was, it was just impossible to like brew successfully in that format. There was like... There were some linear decks that beat that deck, like Titan, but it like you you actually couldn't like you just couldn't like there was no fair deck that you could put together, no fair list that like had any any game against it, which was I think it actually played like four or five banned cards now. Um, so when that happened, Pioneer was actually fresh and coming out and new. So I, I was actually like a primarily a, a pioneer slash sometimes legacy streamer, uh slash trying occasionally dipping my toes back into modern for probably four, five, six months until until like Theros Beyond Death came out. And I thought Pioneer was great. So, so good. Like in, up until Theros came out. <laughs> and, okay. and, uh, and then like you had like a really interesting defined metagame in Pioneer. There's like a lot of cool decks. And then you had Das's Oracle, Uro, um, Heliod, and Underworld Breach printed, which all of a sudden made the, the top four decks, the, the Uro decks, Heliod decks, Inverter, and then Lotus Breach. And then the Pioneer format, like, was a lot less interesting to me then but then they also like right after that banned a lot of the cards in modern that i was frustrated with um oh mm. mox opal uh oko um and then i i've been i've been like i've just been the most interested in modern since then and i feel like it's kind of been hard to not be more interested in modern than other formats uh lately where you just have like you know, modern horizons 2 is huge is i can't believe how good the set was i you know i i was i was you know you know one of the big, I was, I was probably the biggest modern only streamer um, going into modern horizons too. There's definitely people bigger than me that played other formats too, but like just the whole time, like the existential dread, the ner the pre nerd rage, just like worried about how yep. modern horizons two was going to ruin the format. And the format was pretty fun leading up to it. It was like getting a little stale. Uh, sometimes you had like, you had that one week with like cascading into Valky. That was kind of awkward, but yeah. people were like really, um, we're really worried about it, but it ended up being just like so dynamic and interesting. And I, I'm like, I'm like still like trying new things with the Horizons 2 cards almost a year later, which is crazy.
this is this is great to hear um just your whole journey um yeah. because it sounds like you know when you were not happy with the modern uh, yeah because i think that uh, i think that urza uh, sorry the moxopol like the format was clearly not healthy even as someone yeah. who didn't play modern then i was just hearing stuff all the time and then i heard the same things about pioneer and inverter um it sounds like you kind of had the range to like do different things when you just weren't having fun in a particular format and that's important because i think if you try to stick it out that's probably like the number one recipe for disaster or maybe burnout <laughs> that there can be yeah. right yeah, yeah. yeah I, I agree. Like, if, if I'm not interested, if I'm not interested in modern, like, there's a good chance either something's broken, the gameplay's stale. But I, I, I think if I'm not interested, then uh, my audience is going to be interested in watching me play something else. Um, and so I, 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 I'm pretty open with the fact that if modern never gets broken again, which it, it probably will get broken, you know, I feel like every few years, then we'll, we'll definitely be looking more into Pioneer and Legacy. We've, been, we've actually been talking a lot about Pioneer lately. Pioneer is looking pretty fun i've been watching some content and i'm trying to i'm trying to dip my toes back in but i, I also don't want to like i'm really i really don't want to like just like stream myself relearning pioneer and just like stumbling my way back into it i definitely would want to spend time off stream mastering it before dipping my toes back in i think that's a big reason for your success as well because there's a lot of streamers out there i'm not i'm not trying to name anyone specific or saying this is obviously good or bad but there's a lot of streamers that tend to just work things out on the stream. Whereas I think for you, you are very much about the capital P preparation. Anything that you're brewing, that you're showing on the stream, you've already put in the work, right? You've already done the offline leagues and working on it, thinking about it. Uh, whereas a lot of the times, like sometimes you watch other streams and they're just like trying for the first time. Like they literally just uh, copy and pasted the deck list into Magic Online and they're just trying it. I think there's something that people like i don't want to say it's like polished but it's just like you put in the work to try to get it to a place where it's already like semi-competitive or remotely competitive that's that's my observation so i don't know if you agree with that or not but i think that's yeah, a yeah, big part I, of it I, yeah i'd say that that's that's mostly the process um i'd say i, I do usually make a big exception when there's a new set release i usually just like play test the bruce yeah. uh first off there but yeah like i just like knowing knowing like at least how my process works i know that it's, it's different for everybody i i have a lot of deck ideas i work on a lot of lists like most of them never make it to the stream because they just don't have the legs to be competitive and a lot of them like sit in my ideas and my folders until they like get tuned to the point where i'm like ready to play test them a lot of times like they, they never even make it to like the play test point and then a lot of times they never make it to the stream and so like just because i i build so many decks and i have so many failures I just, I just, I just know that like I'm not interested in streaming that huge percentage of the failures. I'm more interested in showcasing the good stuff, which is of course what you know people are interested in because their time is valuable. What they watch is, uh, you know, important. And this is this leads me to my question: is because you're doing so much magic, online, offline. You're, I mean, you're some you're someone that I really admire because you're you're just it just seems like you're living and breathing magic more so than even other magic uh, streamers or players like. How do you, I know you've been public about this too. You've said like, you never really felt burned out, but like, what's the secret here? Like, is it, is it just something about yourself or like, how do you avoid burnout? Because I can see like almost anyone else going through what you're going through, just wanting to take breaks or, or burning out maybe. Well, uh, 
I would say that it's kind of a combination of a few different things. Like I kind of mentioned, I have a really addictive personality and I, I like very much am like super, super like fixated on magic still to this day. But it, it's also like, I think the way that I engage with magic is super rewarding. Like if I'm not interested in like a deck or an archetype, if I get bored of it, it just always feels like in modern, at least there's something else to be trying, something else to be doing. And like that process of like, building a deck and like polishing it and tuning it and like finally showing it off on stream and have it like if it's you know the, some of them are not good <laughs> even on streams or you know we run bad but just like polishing a deck and showing it off on stream for the first time it just continues to be a really really rewarding thing it's like it's really like rewarding that whole process and like i just getting to repeat that process is great and then i i, I also always feel like I'm, I'm finding new ways to push myself like with the the trophy race you know, uh, like both times I've done the trophy race, it's been kind of like intentionally when things feel like they're dying down a bit. There's like, there is less deck building to do. I can kind of like pivot a little bit and, you know, do this like for fun grind and like try to give myself a goal and try to try to win the race. I think the trophy race, by the way, is just absolute genius. Like you, it's just like without having watched your streams or other streams who are trying to do it, it's just like, you would have no idea if, if an alien was like came down on the planet and they said that they're doing this trophy race and it's not even like official wizards, like competitive drama. Like it's not a PT or MPL thing, but honestly, in my opinion, it's probably the most dramatic thing in magic now. Like it's kind of <laughs> sad to say, I know, but it's yeah. like just the real, when I see, when I'm in your stream, I see people are like cheering you on and like, it seems like every every turn every match has actual stakes just because you want to see that number go up and it's just like and you figured out a way to do it in a way that's not toxic like you know i'm gonna mail trophies to like people like regardless of who wins and it's just like you're trying to instead of punishing yourself in the past which you mentioned like it's better to just yeah. reward people um there's something really genius about that that's very conducive to magic streaming because yeah, i don't know it's just I, I don't think there's a question here but it's just like there's something that you've hit on there that's like exciting to watch. And uh, I guess the question is like, how many more of these things will you, will you do? And have you thought about ways to spice it up even farther? Yeah. Yeah. I, so like, th this is something that I, I really want to be really intentional about because there's a, a croakies tweet actually that haunts me to this day where he once tweeted that magic content is lazy and boring to watch. This was like pretty early into my uh, like streaming career. And I just like, I'm like how is croakies the biggest magic streamer tweeting this what does this mean and i just like <laughs> but like i i i do think like you know because be, i i i i've always made it a, a big point to that my stream i don't want it to be lazy and boring to watch and i think that's also of course part of the reason why i don't get burned out because i'm pushing myself to to try new things and i i'm not that interested in just running back the trophy race exactly the same every every season every other season just doing it to do it because it's popular I, I do want to keep evolving it, improving it, and um, and only doing it if it's something I'm interested in. And we we've taught we've been brainstorming a little bit on stream of things we can do to 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 do it you know to do it a little bit differently. Um, the trophies were really cool. Uh, shipping to Brazil was absurdly expensive. It was uh, it was fifteen hundred dollars uh, to ship to Brazil. Um, wow. but between the taxes and everything, it was, yeah. it was crazy. And it was, it was definitely, hey, you're, rewarding. you're a man of your word. Yeah. I, I, I respect yeah. that. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I, I feel like we can spend that money better, uh, next time. 
So uh, what we were talking about was uh, doing uh, the race for charity. And then every every trophy I get is an X, X amount of money donated to to the to the charity that we're we're raising for, uh, you know, ideally, plus, you know, other chat contributions, maybe we could get some more community involvement. But that's kind of like the initial idea is like every trophy equals X money given to a charity. That's really cool. That's yeah. really cool. That's additional uh, stakes. I, I, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's cool that it's, it's like, like you mentioned the stakes, having the stakes every day, I feel like is really the key part of the race. Cause like it, it is, it is fun to wake up and like see a new deck and see some leagues, but like the fact that like getting to like play for stakes every day is just like impossible to do, but like making the stakes yourself is exciting. I'm glad you said the word fun because as I was watching you in the trophies, I was like, does Spike actually enjoy this? Like this seems like <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah. Well, yeah, I get that comment a lot. And this, this is kind of like a good circle back because the, the trophy race is very much inspired by challenge runs, right? Inspired by those no hit runners who not, not only does the run itself take 14 hours, it's thousands of hours like mastering the game and doing it over and over and over again. And like there's a lot of pain in the process. And it's there's a lot of grinding in the trophy race and it sucks. And but like that's part that's part of the fun. It's part of like, you know, I am someone who really likes to compete and I really enjoy the competition and challenging myself to do something and trying to do it. And so like like the the the, the thrill of actually like winning the last trophy race was incredible. It was like it, the culmination of, you know, 90 days of grinding coming together and actually winning was awesome. It was, it was so, so good. Um, and just like the, even, even losing the first race, I had a lot of fun just knowing I, I put everything on the line. I did everything I could. That, that, that is the enjoyment, you know, of like being a competitor. I'm just super happy to hear that, that you actually enjoyed it. So that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I want to switch gears slightly. I want to talk about like just basically the art of streaming and and your stream interactions because I think the one thing that I also think helped your stream grow is just that you have a good way to interact with your mm. your audience. Like there's some streamers that are just like I'm not going to talk to my audience at all. I'm going to pretend they're not there. Um, people have different approaches, but you've managed to, in my opinion, find a really good balance of like this is a competitive stream. I will respectfully uh, respond to chat, but there are there's a time and place for things. Like if you are just gonna like troll me or just say something incredibly stupid, I will respectfully reply to that. <laughs> but I'm not gonna really like um, like you've been able to do it. I think without actually just exploding, or maybe you have exploded. I missed the uh, streams I, where I've, you... I've definitely exploded. Okay. I've definitely exploded. But but I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me about your process. Like where you are now versus maybe like four years ago. How have you leveled up in terms of your stream interaction and all that mindset? Well, stuff? it's 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 really nice because you know as your stream grows, you become used to dealing with more and more people. And I like I I I I've recorded you know plenty of YouTube videos off stream before Channel Fireball and now with Channel Fireball too. Um, I, I, streaming is so much more fun for me because I get to interact with people. I think it's great. And, uh, I, I we didn't like touch on this super long, but you know, with my, like, I was you know, trying to be a teacher, uh, while I was like starting to grind the stream and it was kind of like a crossroads, like try full-time streaming or finish school and I ended up dropping out of school because the streaming thing worked out really well. But like, I feel like I get that outlet of helping people learn and improve on the stream. And I, I really am 
very much passionate about trying to answer as many questions as I can. And like specifically answering questions that I feel like are going to help people improve. If they're asking, you know, critical questions about deck building, deck choice, card selection, these are the questions I really enjoy talking about and answering. And I answer like a lot of the questions over and over on the stream. Cause like when I'm playing new decks, it's pretty common to get a question, but I, I really, I really care about helping people improve and imparting what knowledge I can. And I'm not right all the time, but I, I think that we're able to like, even though the chat's gone pretty big, have like pretty productive, critical conversations. And, you know, I'm, I'm human. And like, sometimes it's, it's like super easy to like read a block of text and, um, interpret the tone incorrectly and sometimes you do have some jerks in the chat and uh i i just yell at them <laughs> i just uh <laughs> yeah you know i don't know i i it's uh <laughs> uh but i i think that i think that um if you're if you're gonna stream you're gonna get trolled some amount of the time it's just part of the part of the experience but i don't ever want that to detract from my goal of helping people get better at magic for sure I think uh, the other thing that you've said in the past is that you, what's the saying? It's like hard work meets and preparation meets opportunity or luck. So I think in the past, you've said things like timing was very important for your success as a yes, stream. Modern Horizons yeah. 1 and then Modern Horizons 2, which people, obviously a slam dunk, like the tide lifted all boats. But I think there was also a fair bit of hard work and preparation, which is like, you put yourself in a position to succeed. Um, you played one of the first random six decks you played, you were, you, you, you started a lot of these like archetypes like Phoenix, um, which is good for me to know because I, I, now when I hear people talk about you and Phoenix, I, I thought it was like some sort of meme, but it's actually real, which is, which is good. You were, <laughs> you're involved in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so it, it's still interesting though, to me, because for every one aspiring spike, there's probably a hundred other people that failed. So like, there's got to be more to it than, than luck. So if you look at yourself, like you, you have mentioned things like you want to teach, you, you, you play competitive brews, uh, you do brew, which is like good because we were not watching the same deck for like 20 days. Are, are there other intangible factors or tangible factors that you think really contributed to your, to your success that, that, that are within your control? Um, well, I, I, you know, I'm, it's a little corny, but like, I, I, I wouldn't be the success that I am without my wonderful partner who is just an absolute treasure. She pushes me so hard to be the best version of myself. And she's just great at taking care of me, great at giving me encouragement and energy. And, um, I just, I, I just, I, I think behind a ton of successful people are like, you know, a, a very, very supportive partner. Um, I, I just want to give her tons and tons of credit. I, I, I think we've also hit on um, a lot of the other big points that people commonly point to the success. I, I mean, I, I, I can't have possibly also been any luckier than I was where I was already like, I was like the biggest magic only or the, the biggest modern only stream, like six, 700 viewers. And then like, who could have possibly predicted Modern Horizons 2 would have been as good as it was at that point. And like, I also got lucky at the beginning of my streaming career because like Gabriel Nassif recognized my username. We had played sometimes and he rated me. Um, I, I do think that like the, the prep time and the like the interacting with chat is super important to at least at least my process, but I also think my brain kind of works in a really good way for streaming where because I'm playing, I'm playing on experience, I'm playing kind of like instinctively, I've always been more of an intuitive player. 
Um, I, I get to use, I really feel like I get to use one side of my brain for playing and then one side of brain kind of consciously inter- engaging and acting with chat. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I think it, it's like the way my brain works, that like, I really feel like I can play magic with one half and talk with to chat with the other half and just do things simultaneously. That that's maybe that intangible thing you're looking for. It's, I don't think that's necessarily something that's easy to, to do, or, or maybe something that you can learn, but I'm uh, very lucky. I think that my brain works that way too. That's awesome. What's the future look like for you? Like, is it, is it just indefinitely be a streamer? Like, do you have any ideas for the next say two or three years? I think ideally for the next two or three years, be a streamer is hundred percent my goal. You know, we kind of reached on my, the rest of my, or, or touched on the rest of my uh, professional career, but I, I don't, I, you know, it's either, it's either go back to college, you get the degree, be a teacher, but uh, that, that's, that's basically my only backup plan. Um, I, I would like to do this for as long as I can. I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm definitely not naive. And I understand that like the nature of content creation is, uh, is that you're kind of like a candle burning out and it's, it's really hard to like stay in this career for a long time. Uh, but it's also true, like when you do burn out and it's, it's often because you're burned out and you're not as interested in doing and in doing what you were doing. So I think that if I end up finding something else, if I end up becoming less interested, if I end up burning out, it's likely because I found something else that interests me more. But at the, t- at the time of making this comment, there's nothing close that interests me more. Great. Everett, are you okay if we do like a, a rapid fire round, just like questions that may yeah. not be related to each other? Yeah, that's fine. All right. What's your favorite deck of all time? Ad nauseum tendrils and legacy. Um, it's very, very near and dear to my heart. I remember just like solitude, solitaring it on Cockatrice hundreds of times when I first saw the deck and I got to play it at Pro Tour 25. Uh, me and my best friend, we would just play tons and tons of legacy. That was always one of the main decks we were playing. Just love, love, love that deck. How do you feel about legacy now as a format? Uh, I haven't played it in a long time. I, I, I kind of like have always enjoyed the low to the ground resource trading of legacy and like the counter spell wars countering what really matters. And I, I feel like, you know, I, I haven't been playing a lot, so I'm not necessarily making a super informed comment here, but I feel like legacy is kind of becoming less and less about that and more and more becoming like kind of like value piles running into each other. I obviously there's still some of the older elements that I enjoy, but I, I just, I definitely have enjoyed it less uh, recently. Hypothetically, if the PT came back, the Pro Tour came back, would you ever consider getting back on that train or grind train? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would for sure. Like if it, if it was back in its old uh, fashion with like the different levels and like the flight incentives and like the prestige, I, I would be interested. You know, there are still the set championships, um, but I, I don't really play the set. Cha- I haven't played a, a set championship qualifier in a long time. I, I really only do so when it's like super convenient for me. And because I'm pretty busy, it just hasn't been convenient in a while. Um, but I, I still, I still have that hope. And there is an organized play announcement coming out and I I'm hoping that the pro tour comes back. I, I you know, it's, that's very much wishful thinking, but yes, I, I would, I would hopefully get back on the grind. What's your favorite magic accomplishment as in the one that you're the most proud of? You know, it's kind of like, it kind of comes back to me when I, when I lost the trophy race, a lot of people were like really talking about, you know, the fact that I lost and when I won the trophy race, the fact that I won, but like all of my magic accomplishments, you know, like solid finishes at the PTs, 
um, you know, top eighting like an SCG open. Like, I, I feel like these, these aren't the accomplishments that like, I care about that much. Like these, these aren't like what I, what I really feel like my biggest accomplishment is, is like uh, the, the fact that a huge chunk of my friends, a huge chunk of the people I care about are the, these, these are like the relationships that matter to me and a huge amount of them are through magic. And I like the interactions I've made with the chat and the friends I've made over Twitch. Like this is like the, this is what feels like the accomplishment is like, is the community and the, the friendships that I've made. So it's like the community and the journey itself, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I like to play the game. I like to compete, but I don't necessarily care as much about the outcome. I just like to I like to do my best. If I feel like I've done my best, that's all I really care about. In your opinion, what's the biggest lie that people tell themselves about why they cannot create content? Um, the biggest lie people tell themselves about why they can't create content. Um, I'd say the biggest truth is that they don't have time because it's a super time. <laughs> time intensive uh intensive aspects um i don't know i kind of feel i kind of feel like i kind of feel like i hear most people saying i i could do that i could do that and i think a lot of people could do it i think that i think that a lot of people make up different excuses for why they never want to take a jump or maybe some people are less interested in making content than they actually think um but yeah, I, I I don't I don't think that I hear too many people uh, lying to themselves on why they can't do it. I, I I think, or at least at least I don't have a good answer. Okay, maybe another way for me to ask it or to comment on it is because I just interviewed somebody who said that as a content creator, as a magic writer, she can sometimes deal with imposter syndrome. Like, am I good enough? Right. So mm-hmm. my guess is that magic players tend to be an overly self-critical, analytical lot of people so maybe that's something to do with it Uh, although i think for you maybe you're 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 probably more confident from just from chatting with you today you're probably more confident than the average person in a good way so magic player so i think that's probably less of a an issue but i i am wondering though the question here is like do you have you ever dealt with any type of like imposter syndrome or like insecurity when it comes to streaming or just doing content uh Yes. I mean, obviously everybody like, you know, it, it is like, kind of daunting to be in front of a camera in front of thousands of people, but like what's nice is like, as your stream grows, you do become more and more used to it over time. And I, I also feel like, you know, I, I, I've never like claimed to be this great magic player or this great deck builder. I just, I just, I just make the decks and I just play the games. And I always, I feel like I like to approach it from a place of this is my opinion based on my thoughts and experiences you can weigh against yourself. And I think if you approach it from that perspective um, and that like you, you have, some, I have, some, I learn things from chat. They learn things from me. We're just improving together. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to feel super insecure because like you don't have anything to be insecure about if you're not being, you know, cocky. Yeah. Just, just be honest yeah. and don't overstate your, your achievements, like I'm the best magic player in the world or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What is something that you might tell someone who is getting started with streaming for the first time? Maybe some advice or perspectives. I, I would say that my biggest advice is to identify what you're good at and try to, you know, make your stream be about that, you know? And I, I would also, I would also recommend like having your stream be as consistent as you can possibly make it. Obviously, like there are different goals when it comes to streaming, just having fun, enjoying a game, having some kind of social outlet. That's all totally fine, totally valid and really underrated. But if your goal is to, you know, be as successful a streamer as you can, 
numbers wise, I think, I think identifying what you're the best at, if it's magic related, it's like deck building proficiency, you know, being, being funny and being personable and being interactive is, is actually a huge skill. And, um, I, and I, I would, I would say that like, once you've identified what that is, like making sure that your stream is as consistent as highlighting that as you can be. So like, if you know that you're like weaker in a different area, practicing that area off, off stream is probably going to be super beneficial to you in the long run. Excellent. Do you have any hopes? Like, I know, I'm not sure if you're one of those like design magic cards kind of person, but like, do you have any hopes for like MH3 or just mm. the future of modern? Like, what do you think the format needs or doesn't need uh, in terms of uh, its evolution? I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I hope that my biggest hope is that it continues to be dynamic in the sense that it's like constantly constantly evolving and changing and um, I, I know that a lot of people actually don't share that vision of modern a lot of people want it to be very static and i think that's that's totally fine take but just, I actually just like go back to bit. splinter twin right <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i uh but i actually like i really wanted to like to change and i but ultimately i don't care very much what the landscape of the format looks like as long as it's fun um and that's kind of a hard abstract quality to define but that that's that's really my biggest hope is that modern if and if modern is not fun that there's a different magic format um that is fun that i can dive into and if there's not i guess i'll start doing uh, dark souls challenge runs <laughs> <laughs> well thank you thank you ever for your time uh you truly are the spikiest of spikes i think a real spike would say what you just said which is like let's roll with the punches whatever the format becomes let's adapt if it's not fun We'll, we'll, we'll do something else. Uh, hopefully it won't be 100% full-time uh, Dark Souls challenge runs for you in the, <laughs> in the near future. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, but I want to thank you so much for your time. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. It's been a blast. And uh, I wish you a, an awesome uh, evening over there in Texas where you are. Yeah, thank you so much, James. This was really fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. Please give us a follow on Twitter at Humans of Magic and visit our website, humansofmagic.com. We'll see you next time.